Hey y'all, have you ever wished your life was better and feel like you've tried a million things but just can't quite seem to get it there? Me too. In fact, I spent more than three decades searching for ways to make my life better, but nothing lasted until I finally found the missing piece. I'm Stacy Danford, an educational neuroscientist obsessed with helping you understand how your brain is without a doubt the secret ingredient to achieving a better life. Come join me for a mental makeover. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to A Mental Makeover, the podcast that's a little bit of joy, a little bit of science, and a whole lot of fun. And today I have some exciting news about our podcast that we have now passed over a thousand downloads and the reviews have been wonderful. And thank you so much for everybody who's taken the time to write one. And I've been getting several comments and people emailing me and asking me questions, which I love to do because my goal has always been and will always be to make neuroscience accessible to everyone. Because I truly believe that understanding your brain and what's going on inside your brain is the key to having the life you want. I know myself personally, I read hundreds and hundreds of self-help books. I prayed, I did all the things and my life never changed until I understood what was going on in my own brain. I was sabotaging myself. I felt like I was broken. I felt like I was, something was wrong with me. I was messed up. I just kept screwing up over and over and over. And I really thought that something was wrong. I was like, I, I can't get it right. I can't, even though I wanted to. And I think that's kind of a, a misnomer that people think if you can't get it right, or you can't have the life you want, you must not want it bad enough. And that is absolutely untrue because your brain is following patterns and it loves to follow old patterns, which makes doing something new difficult and your brain kind of fights against you. So today's topic is going to be about difficult things because I've had several people write in and ask me, how do you deal with difficult situations or how do you deal with difficult people? So today's topic is going to be dealing with difficulty and the people in our lives, especially who are difficult, sometimes make it really hard, especially when we can't get away from them. You know, what if they're your family or what if they're, you know, your boss or your children or a sibling? You can't just always exit those situations very easily. So we're going to be talking about difficult situations and difficult people today. And I'm going to spill my guts on some difficult things in my life and how I've gone through them. And looking backward, of course, now that I understand what was going on in my brain, I see very clearly why I was hurting so bad, why I couldn't get over it. And now also looking backwards, I see some of the greatest lessons I ever learned came from those difficult moments. So let's dig in. Here we go with a topic of difficulty, dealing with some of the worst people that have been in my life and the lessons I learned from them. So I'm going to start with probably the most personally hurtful thing, the personal loss that I had 
was when my brother died. And it's been getting, wow, it's getting close to 20 years now. And my, on my dad's side of the family, I come from a long line of alcoholism and drug abuse. And I mean, generations of that. And my brother kind of fell along in that category as well. And he and I were super close. He was my younger brother. He was four years younger. He was funny. He was precious. He was kind hearted. And he got addicted to painkillers and you know it just it took him under and he ended up dying of an accidental overdose from oxycotton and now that i understand a little bit more about oxycotton and i watched um the documentary or the tv show dope sick about specifically about oxycotton and it made me so mad and it hurt even, you know, all over again, 20 years later, knowing that they knew what was going on and they put this drug out there knowing it, you know, attacked your dopamine receptors. And it was an opioid that created addictions and death all over this world. I think in the documentary, they talked about at least 400,000 people. I may be off on my number just a little bit. Almost half a million people died from OxyContin overdose. And I remember when my brother was going through this, I would get so frustrated with him. And I was like, why won't you just stop? Why can't you see what's happening? And I had no idea that it was attacking his brain and it was creating pathways in the dopamine receptors that were affecting him in the long term and that is definitely not my area of expertise but because i it, it's personal to me i have you know done quite a bit of research about it myself but when my brother died i right before that i was kind of on top of the world my oldest son had just won the little league championship they we had gone to arkansas to play in i guess it was our region of the state i don't know exactly what it was but we we'd just gotten home from arkansas he played awesome we were just on top of the world he thought you know life couldn't get any better and how great it is to be the mom of a kid who's really feeling good about himself and played well and our whole family had come home from this vacation we got home late late in the night i think it was around 2 a.m and i remember the phone rang at 8 a.m and my mom i could tell instantly something was bad wrong and that's when she told me that my brother had passed away and i just remember that ugh, that sinking feeling of how could life be so great in one minute and so terrible the next and it just it felt really like a knife to the heart like it was just took the breath out of me and i still miss my brother every day i think of him i have right now i'm sitting here looking at a little goofy thing that he gave me that i keep on my desk and it reminds me of his humor and his personality and his wit and his wisdom. And I miss him every day. I mean, 
I became an only child in a matter of seconds. And I noticed that there's no one in my life that knows the history like a sibling. And I feel myself, you know, sometimes thinking this is so unfair, which it is, especially to the people who made that drug, but there are people everywhere who've lost loved ones. And it is unfair. It is hurtful. Don't ever pretend like it's not. And we talked about that last week on the toxic positivity about how pretending something doesn't exist is what makes it toxic. Let yourself feel the emotions. But the difficulty in my life that came after my brother's death was what I was not expecting. I'd lost people in my life before. I'd lost my grandparents. I knew what death was. I knew he was never coming back, but I didn't realize what a huge hole having my brother gone would leave in my life. He was the person that believed in me. He was the person that thought, you know, his older sister could do no wrong. And very soon after that, my marriage fell apart because I realized my brother was filling a void that I had in myself that I didn't even realize was there. And I thought my ex-husband was the difficulty. I thought he was the problem. I thought he wasn't making me happy. And I needed to go somewhere where someone made me happy, where somebody loved me, where somebody made me feel special. Again, I had no idea what was going on in my brain. Your brain always wants to move out of difficulty. I'm going to repeat that again because it's really important to understand your brain, my brain, everybody's brain wants to move out of a difficult situation. We don't like to sit in difficulty. We want it to be over quickly. We want to go over it, not through it. And that's just not how it works. We have to go through the difficulty if we're ever going to learn a lesson or to keep the pattern from repeating itself. And I ended up, you know, getting divorced. I had an affair. I was looking for something to make me feel better. And I had no idea I had the ability to do that myself. Definitely not an excuse. Definitely not making, you know, a, a valid reason for why that happened. I've always been 100% and owned my truth in the matter about that. But I can tell you for sure, had I known what I know now, I would have reacted differently. I think I would have at least known what was going on. And I feel like I was at the mercy of my own brain. I was at the mercy of wanting out of this difficult situation so badly that I just was looking for anything that would make me feel better because the void of the loss of my brother was deeper than I had the ability to deal with. That lesson has been so valuable to me in my life going forward, because I can promise you I've dealt with many, many, many more difficult situations since then. 
But now that I understand the brain and now that I realize, oh, the escape that I went to after the difficult situation, it faded away. The dopamine and the joy and the feeling special, that feeling went away. And guess what was there when it was over? Myself. I went with me everywhere I went and I was the problem. I was the one who didn't know how to deal with my own difficulty. I was looking for an escape instead of being able to work through the situation. We talked about that last week as well, like learning to feel your feelings. I talked about that today. This morning I had coffee with a friend and we were talking about, you know, when we're children, we're taught to just don't act that way. Well, don't be, don't act, don't do that. And we're taught to shove our emotions down and that certain emotions are unacceptable. And that's really not the truth. The emotion is not the problem. It's the behavior within the emotion that causes us the trouble. And I think it's such a disservice that we do to children that end up becoming grownups and they have no emotional control over their feelings because all they were taught is don't feel that way. Don't do that. Don't act like that. This is unacceptable. So one of the very best things you can ever do for yourself is learn how to feel your feelings. What is something you could do when you're feeling disappointed? What is something you could do when you're sad? What is something you could do when you're feeling the void that is a better choice for you than a destructive behavior like I chose for myself at the time. So my brother's death really and truly was probably a, a one of the very most pivotal moments in my life. Everything in my life fell apart. My marriage fell apart. My, my friendships fell apart. My business fell apart. It, it was just I, I was on a destructo mission that I had created for myself. I didn't realize it though. And I thought everybody was treating me bad and everybody was hurting me. And I, it, what it was doing was making me look for more and more ways to ease the difficult situations. So if you're out there right now and you are going through a difficult situation, number one, please let yourself feel the feelings. Please let yourself learn to sit in the feelings that you are having. If you are sad, don't shove that under the rug because it just makes a big mountain under the rug and eventually you have to climb over it. Let yourself learn a different behavior to do when you're sad. What can you do when you feel disappointed or jealous or embarrassed? What is something you could do in that emotion besides try to shove it away? The second really probably most pivotal moment in my life as far as difficulty was my next divorce. I thought that I was going to, this marriage was going to be the one that was going to last forever. It was going to, you know, fix everything. I was going to make this work. I was going to rebuild everything I had torn apart. I was going to love my kids so much I could make up for the hurt that I had caused them. 
And I, you know, ended up having another son. Oh, this was my chance to rebuild what I had broken. And I can tell you 100%, I was committed to this relationship and I loved him. I really did. I loved him and I believed it was going to work and be my forever. And on my 49th birthday, I declared to a room full of people that this was going to be the best year of my life. I was actually really excited about turning 49 and I was going to do one fun thing every single month of my 49th birthday so that when I turned 50, I would have done, you know, 12 fun, amazing things. And I was going to be really proud of myself and I was going to roll into 50 with my skates on fire. I was, I was truly excited about it. I'd written out my vision board. I'd, you know, written out my goals. I was ready to go. And two weeks later, my husband left me devastated. I never saw it coming. We didn't have a fight. He told me he loved me that morning. And that evening he just said, I don't love you anymore. And I haven't in years and I can't do this anymore and packed up his stuff and left. And, you know, I had a eight year old son and two thirds of my income walked out. And I probably, that was my most rock bottom. And I remember sitting in the bathroom floor crying. I just cried and cried and cried. Days went by and I just couldn't make myself function. The difficulty was truly more than I could bear. And I caught a glimpse of myself in the bathroom mirror. And I was sitting on the edge of the bathtub, just boohooing. And I, I saw myself in the mirror. And I remember thinking, wow, wow, you look pitiful. And I remember a long time ago, I heard somebody say, you can't be pitiful and powerful at the same time. And I knew when I saw my face in the mirror, I was pitiful. I didn't only look pitiful, I was pitiful because I had given my whole self-worth, my whole value to someone who just walked out with it. And I didn't have any of my own. I didn't understand what was going on in my self-worth because I'd given it all to this person who just left. I just felt like the biggest loser, like the biggest mistake of a person. I felt broken. I felt ashamed. I felt embarrassed. I destroyed my whole life to make this work. And now it was broken too. It must be me. I was the common denominator in all of this mess, all of these mistakes. I was the screw up. And when I saw my face in that mirror, I, I literally said out loud, get up, girl, get up, get up and figure out how to start over again. You have made it through 100% of the difficulties you've ever been through in your life. And you're going to make it through this one, but only if you get up. And I remember, you know, kind of fighting with myself and, and the, the voices, you know, in my head were like, you know, feeling sorry for myself. And I'd already cried for a week straight. There's nothing else I could do. I can't cry him back home. I can't make this work. 
And trust me, I tried it all. I tried to manipulate. I tried to, you know, make adjustments. I was like, I'll cut my hair. I'll change my clothes. I'll move to a new town. I'll quit my job. What do you want me to be? Just come home. And I realized the only thing I could be was me. And I am the only person who can fix me. No husband, no job, no children can fix me. I go with me everywhere I go. And I had to learn how to rebuild myself. And that was the day that I decided to apply for grad school and go back and figure out what is going on in my brain. And I had been studying the brain on my own for about 10 years. And I had gotten obsessed with understanding why my brother died and I didn't. Like, why did he have an addiction when I was stubborn? Because I was somebody that was determined I would never do drugs. I would never end up like that. And the stubbornness actually saved me. And I wanted to know how we could be raised in the same house with the same family in the same town and his brain reacts so differently than mine. And I, so I've been obsessed with brains and I was like, that's it. I'm, I'm going back to school and I'm going to figure out how my brain is keeping me stuck in this broken loop of feeling like a loser, feeling like I'm the problem, feeling like I'm not good enough. I can't get it right. I'm so broken that I will never be able to have a good life. So I applied to grad school and, you know, the rest is history. And I became a complete brain nerd obsessed after grad school. And, you know, I look back now at that difficult time in my life. And of course, you know, when you're in it, you don't know what's coming in the future. But where they say hindsight is 2020, it really is. I look back now and go, wow, that was the catalyst that pushed me into changing my life because I had to get strong. I had to get to the place where I knew my joy is my job. It's not his job. It's not my kid's job. It's not my student's job. It's not my client's job. It's nobody's job to make me have a joyful life. My joy is my job and your joy is your job. Because if you leave it in the hands of someone else, they can walk out with it. And that's not ever a place you want to be. That's never a place where you want to sit and realize that they just walked out with it and you're left with nothing. You're left holding what's the tiny pieces of the life that you have left and trying to figure out how to put it back together. But I am here to tell you right now that you are not broken. There is nothing about you that's broken. Your patterns are broken and patterns are fixable. Patterns can be changed. Patterns can be relearned and rebuilt and the neuron pathways can reconnect when we choose to move through our difficult times rather than trying to get out of them, get over them. We want it quick and we want it now. And nobody wants to sit through difficulty. 
including myself. I still don't like to sit through difficult times. I hate it. We all hate it. But now I know it's part of the process. It's part of helping my brain feel my feelings and move through it, not over it. So here are three little ways that you can move yourself through the difficult times. And remember, your brain's always going to want to go over them. It's going to want like, you know, a giant parachute to just boop, catapult you right over the difficulty and onto the next thing. But that is not, that's just not how it works. And that's not a lasting thing. I've tried it, trust me, many times. I just wanted to feel better now. And whether, you know, all the addictions, they really, that's what they do. They help you feel better now, whether it's alcohol, drugs, sex, gambling, food, shopping, all of the things that people do to make themselves feel better. It's because your brain is going through difficulty. Even if the difficulty is I just got home and I've had a stressful day and all I want is a glass of wine. Or if the difficulty is I can't deal with this stressful finances anymore. I've just got to, you know, go on vacation. I've just got to get away so I can relax. And it's fine to get away and relax, but not if you are trying to use that as a way to get out of your difficulty. Because guess what? When you come home, your difficulty is still there. <laughs> and I realize that I go with me everywhere I go. And I'd turn around and I'm like, damn, there she is again. Golly, she follows me everywhere, all of her problems, and here she comes. So learn to move through the difficulty instead of going over it. And here are three ways that you can do that and teach your brain that this too shall pass. So the first one is one that I learned the hard way to let go of things you have no control over and focus on the things you can control. So when I say that, let go of the things you can't control. I could not control that somebody didn't love me anymore. I couldn't control that he packed his things up and left. I couldn't control that my brother was dead. I couldn't control that he had become addicted. And our tendency is to try to fix the people instead of looking at what we can control. What can we do in our own lives to make this situation fixable? So one of the things I could control when he left me is I could get up and rebuild my life. I could apply to grad school. I could focus on finding something good in my life every day. It was little. It started off tiny. I couldn't hardly find anything I liked. And I focused on a little precious boy who needed me. And I focused on a dog that loved me. And I focused on a home that I decorated exactly like I wanted to. And nobody told me that I couldn't put pink in there. And I focused on the things I could control and stopped ruminating on all the things I had no control over because what your brain will do is just sit there in it and it's like sitting in poison and you just sit and ruminate and ruminate what if I would have said this what if I would have done this what if I wouldn't have spent so much money what if I would have let my hair grow what if I would have 
been skinnier, taller, shorter, whatever. What if I, what a, what a, what a, and you sit there in the things you cannot control and your brain will just become toxic. Don't do that. Let go of what you cannot control and teach your brain a way to go through it is to focus on the things you can control and create action steps for those things. The second thing you can do is not withdraw. And this is something that almost all of us do at one time or another when we're going through difficulty. We just want to sit, sit in it. And there is nothing more annoying when you're sad and hurting than happy people. But the truth is, the more we withdraw and the more we stay alone, it's okay if you want to be alone, you know, for a day or a couple of days or an hour or whatever, but don't stay alone because there's a chemical in the brain called tachykinin and it's created during isolation and it's not good for your brain. It's not good for you to sit in that because it leads to depression. It leads to anxiety. It leads to nothing beneficial and helpful for you in the middle of a difficult situation. It is really true. We are wired to be social and we are wired to be connected. And even though you don't want to, even though you don't feel like it, please reach out to someone. Don't sit alone in your difficulty. Find someone, even if it's somebody online, if it's somebody just to talk to, so that you don't sit alone in the toxic chemicals in your own brain. Reach out. There are people all over the world who will talk to you. Reach out to a friend, to a family member. Have somebody who will sit with you in the midst of the ugly and hold your hand as you walk through it. Because being alone is not ever going to be beneficial in the long run. Again, if you need to be alone for a day, you want to sit alone and think, that's fine, but don't stay in it when you're hurting because our brains will create the chemical of tachykinin. And the third thing that you can do to help your brain move through the difficult situation is realize accidentally that I understood this. I have made it through 100% of the difficulties I've ever been through in my life. And I always end up on the other side. Yes, it's not fun, but we make it through. And here's the truth. No one has a life that's 100% good. Please realize that. Nobody, including me, not Oprah, not the Pope, nobody has a life that's 100% good. We all have difficulties. Maybe we're not showing it on social media. Maybe you're not reading about the Pope's sadness, <laughs> but everybody has it. Everybody, everybody has some type of difficulty. And just because you don't know about it does not mean it's not there. And our brain gets tricked into thinking we only see your greatness we only see your happy stuff on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all the things. Your life must be wonderful. You have all the greatness. You have a great husband and great shoes and a great house and great kids. And your pantry has all the cute little chalkboard things. And my pantry looks like crap. And my son never cleans his room. And you begin to create the cesspool of chemicals in your brain. 
realize no one has a 100% happy life. We all have difficulties. The secret is learning to get through them instead of trying to jump over them. Trying to find something that makes you feel better now is not going to be the best choice for you in the long run. I hope this was helpful for everybody out there who has written in and asked for tips about going through a difficult situation because trust me, we all have them. I have them right now. I have little ones. I've got big ones. I've got mediocre ones, but I've learned to sit with them. I've learned to feel my feelings and go through the situation, not over it. And I remind myself every day to get up, girl, get up. Your joy is your job. And it's my job to make myself keep moving forward and creating the life I want. I will see you next time on a mental makeover. If you have suggestions or you have questions, please email me, please write, please comment, and I will do my very best to answer them and get back to you. Until next week, have a wonderful week. May your brain power be your superpower. I'll see you next time on a mental makeover.